Welcome. Great to see you guys today. Thanks for joining us. I want to say a quick hello to all of our campuses. Thanks for being a part of our services today. Hey, didn't Pastor Nate do a great job last week? Appreciate him. And hey, listen, we had campus pastors speak at all of our campuses. Let's give it up for our campus pastors right now. They are awesome. They did a great job at all of our campuses. So grateful for them. Pastor Garrett from the San Antonio campus preached the week before. So grateful for that. Gave my family and I a good time off to get a little break. So I'm rested and ready and I'm fired up. I'm glad to be back. And so uh, thanks for joining us today. We're starting a brand new series called God's Battle Plan. Because the one thing I know about the Lord is that he wants to be with us in the middle of our fights, in the middle of our battles. Whatever you're facing today, God is with you. You're going to leave with that confirmed to you today to know that whatever's going on, he is with you. Have you ever felt like you're getting it from all sides? You ever felt like the attack was just coming everywhere all at once? Does anyone else feel like that sometimes when you just feel like, man, why does it always come all at one time? It's like everything falls apart at home and at work, right? Or, or, or someone betrays you at the same time you're already depressed, right? Or, or you, you just have multiple things happening to you at the same time. If you feel like there's a coordinated effort attacking you, that would be because there is. But there is a God who wants to fight with you, alongside you, and strengthen you for the battle that you are in. So pull out your notes if you would. We're talking today about God's battle plan. Again, glad you guys are part of our services today. I'd also like to take a moment to say hello to our God Behind Bars guys. We love you guys. We keep hearing great things. Appreciate all that you do. Let's say our mission statement together. We're here to do what? To take as many people to heaven as we can before we die, period. That's what we're all about here at Church Unlimited. Again, thanks for coming out. Thanks for being a part of our services today. I want to talk about a guy named Jehoshaphat. Say Jehoshaphat. And you're like, Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat is not the name you're probably going to pick for your next child. But this is an amazing king. If you look at the scripture on this guy, if you read First and Second Kings, you just read king after king after king that took over, and this guy was king for 30 years, and then he got killed by his brother-in-law. And then this guy took over, and he got killed by some other king. I mean, just all these stories of these kings. And then you come along to a guy named Jehoshaphat who stops and honors God, first of all, but also he has a battle. And in the middle of a battle he wasn't prepared for, God gives him victory. And so today I want to talk about how you can get victory in a battle that you're not prepared for too. Because here's the thing I've discovered about fights and difficulties in our lives. Most of the time, we didn't know they were coming. They just hit us out of nowhere. That's what happens to Jehoshaphat. Now, Jehoshaphat's a hard name to say, so we're going to call him J-Fat. That's his hip-hop name. And uh, I don't know if he had a very good hip-hop career, but we'll just go by J-Fat. Now, it's not J-F-A-T, it's J-P-H-A-T, all right? So turn to the person next to you and say, you're fat, but not a bad fat, a good fat, a P-H-Fat. That's like a cool fat, all right? So, so J-Fat had a battle on his hands that he had to deal with, just like you and I have battles that we have to deal with today as well. So let's pick up in the story and read about his battle and what he did differently that set him apart from all the other kings. Second Chronicles 20, verses 1 through 2 says this. After this, the armies of the Moabites, Amites, and some of the Munites declared war on Jehoshaphat. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Red Sea. They are already close. Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and begged the Lord for guidance. So he's got the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Munites. He's got all the ites, the termites. All the ites are coming after him. What do you do when you've got multiple factors that create a concoction of warfare that you don't know how to deal with? What do you do when the battle is bigger than you feel like you are? 
Well, Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat's already got it right from the standpoint that he realizes he needs to go beg God for help. And so I will tell you this. Would you write this down? Number one, nothing will make you pray like a fight. Nothing will make you pray like a fight on your hands, a battle, a difficulty, a complication, a huge problem that you just can't overcome. It'll make you pray. Some of you have a person in your life that causes you to pray, right? Please, ladies, do not elbow your husband right in front of everyone else, all right? Right? Some of us have a, a person that makes us pray. Some of us have a situation that makes us pray. Maybe you have a financial problem that, that makes you go to God. I don't know what it is, but the one thing I can tell you that will make your prayer life real and strong more than anything else is a problem. And so if you're facing a problem, the good part of your bad situation is that it causes you to pray, causes you to really go to the Lord and seek God for His guidance. Heard about this guy named John. He's talking to a friend of his named Judy. They were just talking. And as we were talking, they were out in the big public place. Judy notices way across. I mean, just like, you know, a couple hundred yards away. She could barely see it, but she's like, isn't that your girlfriend? He's like, yes, it is. And she was with another guy. And so Judy says, are you going to do something? Look at that. He's like, I'm thinking about it. And he sat there and he, looked, he kept watching. He kept seeing. And it was, they were, it was obvious that his girlfriend was on a date with another guy. He couldn't believe it. And so after a few minutes, finally, you know, Judy turns and says, John, are you going to go over there and talk to this guy? You need to confront him. And he goes, I'm waiting. She goes, what are you waiting for? She goes, I'm waiting for whenever he's, she's with a smaller guy. Then I'm, then I'm going to go do something. <laughs> what do you do when the battle in front of you is bigger than you are? That's what Japheth was dealing with. He was like, man, I'm not just getting attacked by one army. I'm getting attacked by three armies, all different sides. I mean, the, the statistics are not in his favor. So he has a real problem in his hands. So, so what does he do? Well, he goes to pray. He goes to seek the Lord, which is always a good thing to do. Look at verse 3. It says, he also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. So this is the equivalent of a large metropolitan area with lots of small suburbs around it. So he said, everyone come into town. Everyone come into the temple. We're going to all gather. We're going to fast and pray. Fasting is just when you don't eat. But, but the reason for fasting is not skipping a meal, although we could probably all use that a time or two. It's really not about skipping a meal. It's about instead of eating, praying, saying, God, you're my sustenance. You're my meal. I'm going to skip lunch, open my Bible, close my office door, and just spend an hour with you, God. And so, because oftentimes we say, let's just be honest here, okay? When I, when I ask you, hey, how's that situation going? Many, many of us will say, oh, I'm praying about it. You know, not, well, is anything good happening yet? Not yet, but I'm praying about it. Or maybe you've had a situation for a long time you've been praying about, oh, I'm praying about that. And if I really dig down, sometimes I, it's not culturally acceptable to do this. It's not socially acceptable to do this. But this is what I want to do sometimes when people tell me to pray about it. I want to say, when's the last time you prayed about it? Well, the other night. How long? Tell me about your prayer. Break it down for me. Tell me how that prayer went. What did you actually say? And did you stay and listen? Because the truth is when we say we're praying about something, what we're really saying is we're complaining about something to God. I'm praying about that. I'm praying things will turn around with my kid. I'm praying about my spouse. I'm praying about my job situation. I'm praying about my debt. I mean, I mean, we say we're praying, but we're really not doing a whole lot about it. And so that's not what Jehoshaphat did. He didn't say, well, I'm going to pray. He said, no, I want everyone to get together, skip your lunch, everyone show up, and we're going to stop in God's presence at a simple say, God, we need you, and we're not leaving till we hear from you. That's prayer. See, this takes prayer to a whole nother level. And so number two, seek God actively by setting a time and a date to call on God. 
We set a time of date for other things. Hey, you want to grab lunch? Awesome. Which day? Tuesday, noon, at such and such restaurant. Perfect. See you there. You set a time and a date for that. Why don't you ever set a time and a date with God? Oh, I'm praying about it, which means I'm not praying about it, which means I don't have a set time. There's no place I'm going to do this. When are we going to stop and really seek the Lord? Because God has some things he wants to tell us, but we've got to get in his presence and stay there. You say, Pastor, are you saying I should get together with God and demand him answer me? Absolutely. You say, well, I can't demand something of God. No, God wants you to put a demand on him because he wants you to rely upon him. He is given glory by you when you say, God, I will not move until you talk to me. He's like, thank you for taking me that serious. See, we, we, we want God to take us serious, but we don't take him serious. We've got to park, stop, slow down, and say, God, I'm not going to move. You know, if, if you've got a problem that you don't know how to deal with, grab a pen and a paper Get a Bible, open the Bible, go sit under a tree and say, God, I'm not moving until I hear from you. Pray to him, tell him your situation, worship him, start with that. And after that, say, Lord, I'm going to open the word of God. I just need you to give me an answer. Just show me what to do. And God will show you over time. But it takes time. You have to seek the Lord. And if you'll do that, God really will give you an answer. But the truth is we don't take God seriously. God has so much he wants to tell us, but we don't slow down and really say, God, I'm depending upon you. I need you. You know, it's funny, as I was preparing this message earlier this week, we were talking about Easter. We're getting ready for Easter, and that's Easter's like the Super Bowl of the church, you know, and, and so it's like a big deal. And so we, we, we know that, you know, so many people come to church. On, on any given weekend in America, 25 to 30% come to church. 40% say they go to church, but actually we know statistically 25% go. And so about a quarter of Americans go to church on any given Sunday, whatever their faith happens to be. Well, on Easter weekend, that number jumps to 80%. So almost everyone in America goes to church. So it's a huge opportunity to invite your friends and family to church. They may say no to you all year long, but they'll say yes on Easter. So it's a great opportunity to bring someone. And so we know that, so we gear up for it, we prepare for it, we advertise for it, we do all kinds of special production you know, points in the services. I mean, we get all kinds of stuff ready at every campus. I mean, it's a big, big deal. We prepare months in advance. And so we're in that preparing, preparation process right now. And in doing that, I just mentioned, hey, we should have a prayer time that week to pray about who we're going to bring for Easter for every campus. And we started looking at it, and people started saying, well, but Pastor, you know, we've got rehearsals that week. It's kind of a crazy, busy week. And so I just casually said, yeah, we'll do it next time. We'll do it maybe the week later or a couple weeks later. And man, as I'm preparing this message, God convicted me and just, and just challenged me saying, so you're going to get everything ready but not call on me? Shouldn't he be the first thing we do to spend time with him? So I'm calling an audible this week that we're asking every single campus to have a prayer meeting the week of Easter sometime just to call on God for his power, for his hand to be upon us, for his hand to be upon our reach so that we want him to bless Easter and to bless that season not only for our church people but for those we can reach. And so let's ask God to do what only God can do this Easter. Is that cool? So we're going to get together and we're going to pray. I'm going to have your campus pastor at every campus tell you when that's going to be, where that's going to be. It's going to be at your campus, but they'll give you the date of when that's going to happen. As soon as we know, we'll be preparing that. We'll probably be revealing that in about a week on when that's going to happen because we're going to look at the schedule, but we're going to make that happen because we know prayer works. If you forget everything else I say today, know this, prayer works, period. It simply works. My mother's in the audience today, and she prayed a prayer when I was a teenager. God let Billy always get caught. Prayer works. <laughs> it always happened. I always got caught. They kept me out of trouble. The truth is, is that God wants you to rely upon him. You worship the Lord best when you say, God, I need you and I need you now. 
He wants to answer your prayer. He wants to be there for you. He wants to touch your life in a special way. He has something to tell you. You just got to spend time with him, and he will do that. Next week, by the way, we're talking about how to get God to answer your prayer. So today we're going we're to unpack how, how Jehoshaphat prayed, but next week we're going to talk about how that prayer got answered. So I want to encourage you to be here for the next three weeks because we're going to see next week God does a literally a miracle for Japheth. I mean, an absolute miracle. He turns the tide and gives him victory in a spectacular way. And we're going to show you some hints on how you can create a battle plan just like God did for Jehoshaphat. And so be sure to be here for all three weeks of this series leading up to Easter. So be here next week for that. So if you've been keeping up with your notes, number one, nothing will make you pray like a fight. Number two, seek God actively by setting a time and a date to call on God. Right now with your pen in your hand, go ahead and set a date that you're going to pray to God about something. Just do that right now. Just write a time down. Just go and do it. You know, tonight, 6 p.m., 6 to 6.30. Great. Sounds, sounds like a great plan to me. Most people don't have a lot going on Sunday nights. Maybe for you, it's going to be Monday night or, or, or Monday during lunch. Instead of going out to eat, I'm going to sit in my office and I'm going to bring my Bible to work. And I'm going to close the door and I'm going to pray for an hour and I'm going to seek the Lord. Great. You know, pray and, you know, Snack on some crackers if you want, if you're worried about the whole food thing. That's fine, but just shut it down and pray. The point is to pray. The point is not to skip a meal. The point is to call on God. Does that make sense? Because God wants to answer you. He really does. So let's learn, number three, to pray like Japhat. Let's learn to pray like Japhat. So how did Jehoshaphat pray? Check this out. I want to just give you step-by-step the ABC of his prayer. Here's what happens. It says, Jehoshaphat stood before the community of Judah in Jerusalem in front of the new courtyard at the temple of the Lord. He prayed, O Lord, God of our ancestors. Would you underline ancestors? We'll talk about what that means in a minute. You alone are the God who is in heaven. You are the ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. So he first says, God, let me just talk about how awesome you are, about how great you are, about how you can overcome anything. And so he starts his prayer off so differently than most of us pray. Most of us pray, oh God, I need help. My life is messed up. I'm a big screw up, right? We start to complain about God. My kid's driving me nuts. My boss is all over me. I'm in debt up to my ears. I don't know what to do about my spouse or whatever your problem happens to be. And so you just complain to God. That's not actually how you pray. So how do we pray to get an answer? Well, then it's a different approach. And so what does Japheth do? He says, God, we gathered here today, all of Israel, just simply to stop and say, you're God, and you're awesome, and you're all-powerful, and you've done it before, and you'll do it again. You always come through for your people. I trust in you. I believe in you. He has confidence in God. Instead of complaining and, and overemphasizing his problem, he begins to emphasize who God is. You can focus on one or the other. You can focus on who God is. You can focus on how big your problem is. Which one do you want to focus on? And so focus on how big God is in your life. That's what we should be focusing on, is that God is big. Look, we need to be praying prayers like, Lord, you know what? David faced Goliath, and he overcame that. Moses was stuck at the Red Sea, and you parted it for him. Lord, you helped Elijah fight off 100 or 400 prophets. And so, Lord, if you can do all of that, you can come through for me too, God. If you can help Esther, and you can help Ruth, and you can help Deborah, and you can help this woman. If you can help, you know, a young man like David, and you can help this teenager. Lord, if you can help this person, we need to call upon God. Do we believe what we say we believe? Are we Christians or not? Do we have a God who comes through for us or not? If he comes through, then call on him. He will come through for you. We've got to learn to depend upon God again. He wants you to depend upon him. He wants you to need him so that he can deliver you. 
Because my God delivers. He will come through for you, whatever you're facing. Maybe God brought you here today just to hear that so he could say to you, quit bellyaching and whining and crying like you don't have a God. When you do, you have a God who loves you, who will help you. So start off by this. A, acknowledge God. Acknowledge God's power and your role in history. He says, oh, Lord, you're the God of our ancestors. What's he saying? He's saying, Lord, you took care of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You're going to take care of us too. And so you got to see your role in history. Do you know that every day, the choices you make, you're making your own history. Your kids one day will talk about their family. I grew up in a family like this or like that, based upon what you do today. Based upon the decisions you make today. And so make sure you're making the right decisions. And one of the things that all of our children need to see is that when we're in need, they need to see us call on God. Joseph didn't do it in private. He's the king. You know, kings like to look powerful, right? He's got like a PR campaign going on all the time. I want to look good. I want to look like I got it together, you know? And, and, and Joseph says, I want everyone to come together because we need God now. I don't know what to do. Wow. Talk about humility. When's the last time as parents we said, hey, kids, y'all come in the room. We need to all ask God what to do because I don't know what to do. And I'm just going to trust in the Lord and, and he'll come through for us. And so we, we are so apt to look a certain way. We, we want to look like we have it together, but sometimes we just need to admit we don't have it together and we need God. We need God to come through for us. And when you'll do that, humility is a magnet to the Holy Spirit. You will draw God to you when you humble yourself and say, Lord, I need you. I don't know how to face this. I got all the ites coming at me. I need your help, God, and he will come through for you. I can't help but notice something. We just want to point something out. In 2 Chronicles 20, it said here that they stood in front of the new courtyard at the temple. I thought that was interesting because you see God about to deliver the people in a powerful way. There's, there's a miracle. We're going to talk about next week, this massive miracle that God does for, for the people of God here. But before that, it said they stood to, together in a new courtyard. Now, I, the reason I want to bring up new courtyard is because I can tell you this. Every time in the Bible when God is doing something powerful in Israel's life, a new temple is being built or something new is being added onto it. Because here's the thing I know with unerring accuracy. You go to any church in this city or any city you would like to choose, and you go show me a church, and you show me the last time it got painted or upgraded, and I'll show you the last time God moved in that church. Because a building is not about a building. It's a direct symbol or example of what's happening in that house. When I see men who are leaving their wives, I can show you a house that's broken down. Doorknobs are not getting fixed. Paint's chipping. They're no longer worried about keeping the place up. Why? Because they've checked out of the relationship, so the house is going down with it. I've seen this over and over again. But when there's a man who is fully engaged in his marriage, there's a man fixing up the house. There's a man redoing stuff. There's a man painting. Why? Because you know what? What we invest in is what we love. It's not about the building. It's about the vitality of the people in the building. And so whenever you see us adding on here, adding on there, adding the campus here, adding the campus here, that's because God is alive and doing something in this church and we're expanding to reach more people. That's what that's about. It has nothing to do with the expense. It has nothing to do with the building. It has to do with reaching more people and God doing something new and fresh. And so here they're standing in a new courtyard, which means that people sacrifice to add on. In other words, they said, God, we're willing to put our hand to work in your house. Isn't it funny how we want God to put his hand on our house, but when's the last time we put our hand towards his? Oh, Lord, would you bless my house? God's like, well, let me ask you something. When's the last time you blessed my house? When's the last time you did something for the house of God? Or is it just, I want to come and receive me, 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 
When's the last time we said, Lord, I just want to give this to you. I just want to bless your work. I just want to come with an open hand and say, Lord, I want to use my talents for you. I want to use my resources towards you. I just want to bless your work. I want to use my influence and bring people to church with me. I want to make an impact. I want to do something for my church instead of always expecting my church to do something for me, right? Or in the words of Kennedy, right? Ask not what your country can do for you, right? Ask not what your church can do for you, but what you can do for your church. We got to remember that. God, I want your hand on my life. God says, and put your hand towards my house, and then I'll put my hands on your house. That's how that works. And so acknowledge God's power in your role in history. B, remember what he has already done for you. Verse 7, oh, our God, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people Israel arrived? And did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your, of your friend Abraham? Your people settled here and built this temple to honor your name. And so what's he doing? He, he says, hey, Lord, I remember when you blessed Abraham. I remember when you blessed us with this people, with this, with this great land. And Lord, I, I just want to remember all you've done in the past. So he says, before I even get to my problem, I want to acknowledge that you're all powerful, God. Then I want to remember all the things you've already done for me. You know what? We forget how God's already come through for us. Maybe you're facing a problem today, and the reason you're so destitute and so worried is because you forgot how God came through for you last time. Think about the last time God came through for you. Oh, you know, pray for us, Pastor. We can't get pregnant. We're trying so hard to have a baby, and we just cannot get pregnant. But remember five years ago when you were praying about having a spouse, and now you're praying with your spouse about getting pregnant. So God brought you the spouse, so why won't God bring you the child? So we forget if God came through then... He'll come through again. Oh, pastor, pray for me, man. Lost my job. But you lost your job 10 years ago, and you did fine after that. And so what makes you think God's not going to come through for you now? Oh, we're facing this problem in XYZ in our career. Well, you faced a problem like that before. God always comes through. How many times does God have to come through for you to finally say, you know what, before I even say anything else about this problem that's come my way, I already know God's going to take care of it. He took care of the last one, and the one before that, and the one before that, and the one before that. And so God can be trusted. We can trust the Lord. So real quick, I just want to give you two quick scenarios. That one's a, a church one, one's a personal one, where God just came through for, for us in the past. Years ago, we, when my wife and I first moved to Corpus Christi, we didn't know a single person in this town. We moved here. One little trailer could load up everything we owned. We moved here with our six-week-old baby Mason at the time. He's a little older than that now. He's in college. It's crazy how fast time goes. I remember moving here. I was 25 years old to start a church. I didn't know a single person in this town. I'd met a few people. That was about it. And we had begun a little core group in our, in our apartment complex and in our little apartment uh, that we rented and, uh, and a little one-bedroom apartment. And, and five people came the first day and we met. I remember saying these five people at the end, I said, okay, guys, this isn't the Bible study. This is a church we're starting. And one day this will be a church of thousands. My wife told me I was crazy for saying, this. please don't say that again. That sounds so weird. I was like, I really believe it, though. You know, and she was like, all right. You know, but I knew, I knew what, she, what she was saying because it did sound weird. But I knew I had to start ingraining people right now. This is going to be a church of thousands one day. One day, this is going to be something great. And now it's easy to look at it and go, well, here it is. But at the time, <laughs> there was no evidence of it at all other than a vision. That little group of five people grew to about 10 to 15 people. Eventually moved into people's houses and began to meet different weeks at different people's houses. And we knew we needed to make a big move, and so we, needed to, we knew we needed to rent something on the weekend. So I thought maybe we could find a school that we, that, that we could rent on a Sunday and set up a bunch of chairs and do a bunch of advertising, invite a bunch of people, and, and start having public services. So that was the plan. The problem was I couldn't find the school. I saw this one school, and it was in a brand-new developing area in Corpus Christi. It had hardly anyone there, very few homes. And the area was off of Rodfield Road, which is basically barely a dirt road. I mean, it was just, it was like there was nothing out there. 
And so, but in the very corner of this area was a little school that had just been built called Ella Barnes Elementary. I drove up to it and I was like, this would be perfect for us. And so I called and I called and I called, couldn't get a hold of anybody. Then someone finally told me, you got to talk to the principal. I said, well, who's the principal? They said, we don't know yet. It's a brand new school. I was like, okay. And so, I mean, this is several months into this. Finally, they get a principal I hear. I don't know who it is, but I call and try to get an appointment. I mean, after weeks of this, finally, I just go in to see the principal. She's super busy. Apparently, she was retiring and then called out of retirement to come be the principal, so she wasn't really planned to take this. I mean, she didn't, she didn't know she was going to continue doing this. You know, she was good at what she did, but she thought she was kind of done, and, and all of a sudden, now she's back being the principal. I show up in her office. Uh, she's late because she's frazzled with all stuff going on. I sit down in front of her, and she literally, she's, I sit down in front of her. She sits down behind her desk, and she's spinning around. She's answering phone calls still. She's checking stuff. Finally, about five minutes in, that's where I'm just sitting there watching, and she turns around and goes, okay, what can I do for you? And I knew what that meant was, how can I get you out of my office? You know what I mean? <laughs> I said, I, I know you don't know who I am. Uh, my name is Bill Cornelius. I'm a pastor. She goes, oh, you're a pastor. What church? I said, well, it's a church that hasn't actually started yet. She's like, oh, okay. And I said, I don't know where you are in your faith or anything like that, but we really need a location, and we just think this school is awesome. Is there any possible way you'd be willing to open your school on Sunday for us to meet and to have church here? And she said, now, who are you with again? I said, well, it's going to be called Bay Area Fellowship, you know, and I told her the whole deal, and of course, we now changed the name, but but I said, you know, and she said, and so, so who, you? I said, okay, well, so there's a church in town called Yorktown. Have you heard of Yorktown Baptist? Oh, yeah, yeah, I know who they are. And she kind of smiled. And I was like, oh, okay. And she said, yeah, uh, the church I went to helped start them. I said, what? She goes, yeah, I, I go to First Baptist Church downtown, and they actually helped start Yorktown Baptist Church. And I didn't know Yorktown was trying to now start a church also. So your church will be my grandbaby. <laughs> I said, you're right. And she smiled and she said, and now I finally know why God brought me back in to be the principal of this school. It's to open the doors for you. So crazy. God knows the problems you have and he already has answers for them. Fast forward three years later, church is growing beyond our wildest dreams. We're running five, six hundred people in the school, four or five hundred people, up to six, seven hundred people sometimes, and we just couldn't couldn't maintain it because of the size of the school. And, uh, and we were just overrunning. We, we were first at L.L. Barnes Elementary. Then we moved about 18 months later into Grant Middle School for a little more parking and space. And we were outgrowing that as well. And other high schools were available because of all the sports. And so we were really kind of stuck. We just needed a building bad. We kind of find out there was this old moose lodge off SPID that was for sale. And so we didn't think we could afford it, but we just went and checked it out anyways. And uh, we looked at it. And we're like, well, I mean, it's old. It needs a lot of work. But it could do. I mean, we, we can make this work. I didn't know what I was doing. Came back to church the next week. And I mean, this is, this is hilarious, but this is really how it went down. Just to show you how professional we were. I mean, I didn't know jack about any of this kind of stuff, okay? <laughs> I walked out and I, was, I, I shared my message. At the end of the message, I said, hey guys, I really don't know how to do this because we didn't have like formal structures in place or, you know, like you go to like a church business meeting. Well, I've been to those in the past and they were like disastrous in most churches, so we never really did it that way. So I didn't really know what to do. I just got up and said, we really need a building. You guys know we've been looking for something for a while because I've been talking about it, but we found this old moose lodge, and so we're thinking maybe we should get that. This is how much it costs, and I told them the number was a huge number to us at the time. It was massive. We're like, oh my gosh, I think it was like 700000 or something. It was like 
you know, four times our budget. I mean, we're like, there's just no way, and we can't afford this. But I just said, you know, it'd be great if we could get it. Who knows? And so I just said, I don't know what you guys think, but I'd love to just to hear, hear from you. I'm thinking I'm going to hear from them like after service. You know what I mean? Some guy in the back just stands up. Pastor, we should buy that building. Yeah! Everyone starts clapping. I was like, oh, okay. I think that's a vote. Okay, we'll buy the building. I didn't know what I was doing. That's literally how it went down. So I called some friends, some pastor friends around the country. I said, what do I do? And they were, like, they were laughing like, that's how it went down. Like, that's how it went down. And so I was explaining to them, I said, you're going to have to do some kind of giving emphasis, some kind of fundraiser. And I was like, I don't know how to do that. Like, it was like a bake sale. They're like, no, not a bake sale. Forget that. That's not going to work. You know? So I was like, okay, I don't know. I mean, I had never done this before. They said, you know, like, go rent a place and ask everyone to come and, 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 and you know, serve a nice meal and then ask people to commit to a certain amount of money above and beyond their tithe for a certain amount of months. And I thought, okay, okay. So, you know, I kind of got some good coaching on that. So we rented this place. We're all in the King's Crossing Country Club at the time. And we're meeting there. And uh, we had, everyone was dressed up, you know, and my wife and I were there. We been planning on what we were going to give above and beyond our tithe, and we kind of had a number in mind, you know, and most people, I think, probably had that too. We're all gathered there. Everyone knew why we were there was to give, so people pretty much knew what it was about, and, and so I got up and I shared the vision again, and we showed pictures of what we were going to plan on doing to the old Moose Lodge building and how we we're going to renovate it, that kind of thing. And I said, so I want to challenge you guys to give, so I said, now I want everyone to go back to their seats and, and, and just pray about what God would have you give, and in about five minutes, we're going to all come up, and we're going to, you know, make our commitment on a little card and put it in a little basket up front. So I go back to my seat too. Music playing in the background. We're all just, I'm just talking to my own wife about what we're going to give. And we had a number when we showed up. But as I'm there, God convicts me on the spot to give beyond the number. So I was like, Lord, you know, we're giving everything we can. And I felt God telling me, increase it by $10,000. I was like, Lord, that is a huge, that's like a doubling to us. Or I don't know what it was. It was huge. I was like, $10,000. Now I'm arguing with God in my mind. You ever done this? You ever argue with God when God puts it? That's my prayer time, right? So I'm like, God, $10,000, we don't have $10,000. And I sense God tell me, yes, you do. I was like, okay, it's not really mine, God, that was given to Jessica by her grandmother. We've been setting that aside because we're going to build a house one day with that. That's for us to build our dream house one day. I said, Lord, that's not really mine. And the Lord said, so you do have it. I mean, (laughs) yes, we have it. It's like, then give it. So I turned to my wife, and I said, honey, I think God wants us to give more than this. She's like, okay, how much more? I said, $10,000. And she knew what that number meant. She said, are you serious? I said, I really think this is God. And she said, if you think it's God, are you sure God told you that? (laughs) I said, I'm pretty sure. She said, okay. And so in her mind, she's giving up her dream house. She's like, okay, Lord, I'm going to build your house first. And so we wrote down the number, and we walked it up. I said, will you walk up with me? She does. She, she came up with I was like, since it's your money, would you walk up with me? <laughs> <laughs> so we walk up together with a number with that included in it, and we had filled out our car. We put it in the basket. On the way back, not even 20 feet from where we were seating to the basket, we, we put it in there, and other couples are coming up at this point. We began to head back to our seat, and as we're walking back, another couple just dropped off their commitment too, and this guy stops, and he says, Pastor Bill, can I talk to you real quick? I was like, Sure. He goes, like, I don't know if this is good timing or not. He goes, but my wife and I were just talking, and we're committing, of course, to the giving campaign, too. But I don't know why, but I don't know if you know what I do. And I was like, no, not really. Sorry. He goes, well, my name is Bill Alford. This is my wife, Tony. We build houses. 
And we just really felt led by God in this moment. God just put on our hearts. I'm sorry, I get emotional about it, but he just said, I just feel like we're supposed to build you a house at cost. You know, 18 months later, we moved into a brand new, beautiful home that if I told you the per square foot cost, you'd want to slap me. We had at least $50,000 in equity in that new home, day one, because of the gift they gave us, of giving us a, a home at cost. That's just God. My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in glory. I didn't prompt that couple to do that. They just did it. You see, this is the thing you got to understand about our God, is that He knows what He's asking of you, and He knows the situation you're in, and He will always come through for you. And so if God has come through for you in the past, why will He not come through for you again? Right now, I'm facing the same situation again. I'm like, Lord, I know you're laying upon our heart to start all these churches and to go plant a new location and build a building in San Antonio. We don't have the money for any of it. And God just smiles and goes, I do. Trust me. Trust me, and I'll come through for you. God can be counted on. Pray like Japheth. Acknowledge God's power. A, B, remember what he's already done for you. And C, admit your dependence on God. Admit your dependence on God. For some reason, this is hard for some of us to really admit that we just need God. We can't do it on our own. He goes on to say this. They said, whenever we are faced with any calamity, such as war, plague, or famine, we can come to stand in your presence before this temple where your name is honored. We can cry out to you to save us, and you will hear us and rescue us. Isn't that great? So the people of Israel once again said, God, we need you. We are surrounded by enemies on every side. It sounds like today again, by the way, for Israel. But you always protect us. You always take care of us. And again, God came through for them, as we're going to talk about next week. So admit your dependence upon God. Some of you today just need to admit right now in this moment that you need God. I mean, honestly, I'm serious. Some of you right now just need to stand to your feet and say, God, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I need you right now. I don't care who knows. I need you, God. I stand in your presence. I don't care what my neighbors think. I don't care what the people I don't even know down the aisle think. I just need you, and I'll acknowledge it, and I stand in your presence and say, I need you to come through for me, and God will come through for you. I see you standing. I see you standing. I see those hands up. I see you standing. I see you standing. Because when you acknowledge God and don't care what other people think, God acknowledges you. You say, God, I need you. I see you standing. I see you standing at campus right now. You're saying, God, I need you. I don't care. Who knows? I just need you. I depend upon you. Let's be the people of God and put it in God's hands because he will take care of all of our problems. He is there for you. Admit you need him. He wants to be needed. He wants to be needed. Oh, the presence of God's moving right now. I sense it. I sense it. I sense his presence. And this is what I've been waiting on God to do is to turn up the temperature in this church because we need to admit that we need God. We just need to admit it so he'll come through in a way that we can't explain. God is so much in love with you. He's waiting for you to be in love with him. He has so much to do in your life. His presence is so powerful. Just admit you need him. Say, God, I don't know what to do anymore in my marriage. We just need you. God says, about time. Lord, I don't know what to do anymore with all this debt. God says, thank you for finally calling on me. I can take care of that. Lord, I'm getting attacked from all sides. And God says, I know that. You see, what surprised you didn't surprise him. He already knew what was coming. And he strengthened you for the battle before you even got to the battle. He knew it was coming. He's not surprised at what you're going through. And that's how you've made it this far, is that he was there with you. 
when everything went wrong, when all hell broke loose in your life and he came through for you, he knew you were going to lose your wife. He knew that. And he surrounded you with other people that loved you to prepare you for that. He knew when you were going to go through it. He knew the difficulty you were going to face and he put the people around you to help you. Whatever you're facing, there's a God who loves you. You can count on him. He's always been there and he always will be. Praise God. He's just that good. Let's just take a moment right now and pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Oh man, I just sense God moving right now across all of our campuses. There's a tenderness that he wants from our hearts, an openness to say, God, I just need you. I can't do this on my own. I need your power in my life. I need you to come through for me. I don't know how to face this. So, Lord, all I know to do is go to you and just say, I need you, God. I admit it. I need you desperately. I surrender all I am to you right now. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Make that your commitment. Just say, God, I just surrender all I have to you. I don't know how to face this. I just trust my life in your hands. Thank you, God. I need you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. We admit it. We need you, Lord. All of us together, let's just admit our need to him. We love you, Lord. Thank you, God, that you're there for us. Thank you, God, that you're with us. Thank you, God, that you're guiding us. Thank you for that guy right now on Kyle Allen who's saying, I need you. Thank you, Lord, for that couple on Alice saying, Lord, we need you in our marriage. God, thank you, Lord. Right now, there's someone, Lord, that just needs you on the west side saying, God, I just need you. Lord, thank you, God, that you come through for us time and again. Lord, we love you, God. Every head bowed, every eye closed. God knew you needed him, so he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. Jesus paid the price for your sins, and he rose again from the grave, proving that he's God. Now he waits for you to receive him. You can receive him right now by praying a very simple prayer. If you've never prayed this prayer, we're going to pray it out loud together with you so you can receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Would you pray this prayer with us? You can just say, Dear Jesus, I realize I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. And thank you for raising again. I ask you to come into my heart. I repent of my sins. I make you my Lord and my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In your name we pray. Amen. Can we just give God a hand right now for what he's doing in his church? Wow. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you.